You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey, ladies, and welcome to The Devoted Podcast. I'm so glad you guys are tuning in today. I'm going to do another episode with the topic of cultural Christianity. We did an episode on defining cultural Christianity, a part one and a part two, and then also a what kind of Christian am I? So you might check those out so you kind of have a little bit of a foundation of what I'm talking about. But just in summary, real, real quick, we just want to always be making sure that we're defining our terms according to what the Bible says. And the Bible should probably have the authority on what it means to actually be a Christian. But strangely today, there's been all kinds of different, I think, different definitions and even different titles and different things different labels that we put on what some may call Christian, but is it what the Bible says? So, you know, going back to what the early church was, you know, basically accused of being, the term Christian was meant to be derogatory. It was meant to be, oh, you're being a little Christ is really what that what that was meaning. And, and the early Christians said, hey, we'll, we'll take that. We want to be like Jesus. And that truly is to be the most biblical definition of what it really looks like to be a Christian is to be someone who just wants to imitate Christ in every possible way that we can. Philippians 2.5 reminds us that, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's what we want. So you can go back and you can check those out as you want. Today, I want to look at what I'm going to just call the jaded Christian a little bit. The jaded Christian. This is one that I think probably we all slip into time to time. I think this one it could be a, it could just be a little label, a little brand of Christian that we might put this hat on sometimes. Some of us might wear it more than others, but I think it's one that we need to be really careful about. So what do I mean by the jaded Christian? Well, the word jaded, just to give us some basis, some definition here, it's not having interest or losing interest because you have experienced something too many times. You know, it's like, eh, I've seen this, I've done that, and it kind of loses its appeal a little bit. Now, we could talk about one tangent of this. I could definitely see with the jaded Christian could be someone who has just kind of lost that first love. You know, they've lost the fire that they had for the Lord. You know, maybe when they first accepted the Lord, when they came and, and just felt that burden lifted of the sins that the Lord just took on the cross. And had that first moment of accepting Christ, regardless of what your testimony looked like, whether it was you came from a really dark, terrible background and Christ just gave you new life, or if you have the most boring testimony ever, which that would be me over here, and, and maybe you've kind of grown up in the church, you know, you don't have any any crazy prison stories. Nope. You're just, just kind of a, a boring Jane on the testimony side of things. But our moment that we accept Christ and he comes into our life and we are reborn in Christ is never boring. And and that moment is just amazing. But it's not meant to be just a moment, right? It's meant to be something that as we continue to be imitators of Christ, walk in this being Christian idea here, as, as the Bible would define it, that we we keep that fire for the Lord. We keep that love that we have and, and, and just that renewal that we experience when we accepted the Lord. So that's a piece of the jaded Christian. I think there's sometimes that we can fall into that place where, man, we, we used to have that fire and that love for the Lord, and we've just kind of let it fade a bit because, oh, we've done this. Oh, we go to church again. Oh, yeah, we, we've done that. We worship, you know, all these things, and it's just great. And we're just checking the box. 
got to be careful of that. That is certainly an element of the jaded Christian that we could probably spend an entire episode just talking on that facet. But I wanted to shift gears on this a little bit because I also think that the, that the jaded Christian can have that just that perspective to the world around us of kind of like a, it is what it is kind of mentality. The jaded Christian can feel like there's just not much we can do about all the all the terrible things that are going on around us. We hear another sad story. It's like, oh, well, yeah, that's sad. That's a bummer. And you just kind of start developing this little bit of a callousness and a, a little bit of an attitude of complacency, apathy. Just, eh, I don't know. It is what it is. One of this could come into just even how we see sin, you know, and uh, we, we did a whole episode on normalizing sin that you can go check out. But that one's kind of a scary one. And it's tough today because let's be serious. We see all kinds of wickedness and hurt and just things that we know that the Bible says is wrong. And we see it so much, just like that that definition said, oh, I've seen it so much. I just kind of lose interest. It kind of loses its like its shock value, right? It's just, well, yeah, kind of happens all the time. And we can come into that place like 1 Timothy 4 talks about the seared conscience where we just don't even feel it anymore. And that should shock us a little bit. We should be grieved over the sin in us. We should be grieved over the sin in our nation, in our communities. Just the it should hurt us because it hurts the Lord. It hurts the Lord, and and we we need to not lose that. But we got to remind ourselves of that. We, you know, we kind of have to bounce us back to the other side of the coin and be like, oh wait, what are we talking about here? This is stuff that is not just harmful to us, but it's it's sin against the Lord, and that should grieve us. But we kind of lose that. We get a little jaded, and there is so much sin around us that you know, like Romans one talks about that we would be given over to our sin just because we love our sin so much. We sin, we sin, we sin. And finally, the Lord was like, you know what? If that's the direction you want to go, I don't want you to go there. But he, it, would, it said he would give us over to that. And that all plays into that, maybe that normalizing of sin, of just seeing it and going, yeah, well, it is what it is. Can't do anything about it. So you see the sin side of it. Then you see just maybe the hurt and the pain that we see all around us. And I think for some of us, especially as gals, because we can have, I have got some dear friends that just have such a sensitive heart. And there can be so much hurt and pain that we see around us that for some of it almost is like a defense mechanism to try and, and avoid thinking too deeply about that. You know, just like it's, it, wow, it's just, it's just too much sorrow. And I really respect the gals that can kind of have some self-awareness in themselves about this. I have a dear friend that she's had quite the year (laughs) and just gone through so, so many really, really, really hard things. But she has really good self-awareness to the fact that she kind of knows when when she needs to tap out a little bit. And some usually this takes the in the form of news that she even will take in. So if uh you know, she she loves to stay up to date with the news. She cares about things like that. But she kind of knows when she just can't take anymore. And so she'll just turn it off and be like, okay, I'm not going to be watching news for a week. You know, I'm not going to be doing this. And I think it's a great 
tip for all of us to to have a little bit of a self-awareness, check in with ourselves a little bit and going, man, am I exposing myself to more than really what the Lord would intend for me to carry right now? Because we truly can almost know too much. You know, we have access to so much. There's there's kind of nothing <laughs> out there that you can find some really terrible story in about two seconds on your phone. And we just we read those things in like a feed, right? Like it's it's not even like you used to have to go and maybe you'd read a book that would really evolve the story and tell of someone's sorrow and pain. And, you know, you turn the page and it takes time. Man, it comes in, in a digest in an email with headlines that are just one after the other, after the other, after the other. And it can feel like it's just too much. And so I do have, I'm trying to be sensitive to this kind of mean title I'm giving, you know, the jaded Christian, of those that sometimes it can come off as jaded because it's almost like we're just trying to do like a little defense mechanism here of like, I can't go there. I can't, I can't think too deeply on this and I don't want to hurt on this. You know, I, I get that. But, you know, sometimes we, we just need to go back to a little Psalm 4610, right? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I love the simplicity of that verse, you know, the reminder to be still. Just calm down. It's okay. Know that I am God. Regardless of whatever the situation is, he's God. He's got it. Calm down. He's God. It's just, it's such a, the whole, it feels like the whole cadence of the verse is just calming. And then there's the the last two phrases there that are kind of the mic drop there for the Lord of, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So it's a calm down. It's a know that I'm God. It's know that I am completely in control of every single thing that goes on in the nations. I will be exalted in the entire earth. Pretty much all encompassing right there, right? So I, I know that we often need those reminders. But I wanted to look at and maybe encourage myself and hopefully encourage you in the areas where we need to be cautious against being this jaded Christian that because we just don't want to feel, maybe that's where you're at. Or maybe it's not that you don't want to. It's that, hey, I got other things I'm doing. I'm too busy. I, you know, I just don't even really think about this stuff and I just live my life and go on. And and we can be jaded. We can be kind of harsh and not sympathetic, not empathetic, not compassionate. So those are the three things that I really want to look at here. Sympathy, empathy, and then also compassion here. So some of this conversation with sympathy and empathy, I'm just going to give you a little backstory. It kind of started with some family devos that we were having here in the McReynolds household. And because it and I and I'm not sure what had happened that week that my husband brought this up, but we've got boys and I know boys, sometimes they're not as tender hearted as, you know, maybe girls are. And, you know, maybe, maybe they need a few more reminders of like, okay, well, let, you know, let's, let's watch out for this and let's be, you know, so my husband, Chris was just feeling like we, we needed to just kind of chat about this a little bit, just have some good reminders on, you know, considering others and what that should look like. And so we, he started to talk about sympathy and empathy and he was given some definitions And then I was thinking about the definitions that I know. And then I was reminded of a problem that I have with these two words. And I'm probably not alone because as I looked up different definitions, different sources for definitions for sympathy and empathy, I'm telling you what, nobody has these straight. 
I mean, you can read one definition for sympathy from one site, and then you can read almost a completely different definition on a different site. And they very often, often, they kind of confuse sympathy and empathy. And that's what Chris and I were doing that morning. He, he was like, well, I think this sympathy is this. And I was like, oh, is it? I was thinking that was empathy. And we were getting all confused. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to actually look at this a little bit. And so he tasked me with that. He was like, yeah, why don't you do that? So here, here is a little bit of a dive on sympathy and empathy. And what's the difference between these two? Because like I said, if you're like me, you have confused these terms a few times. And, and the reason I'm bringing this up is in line with this idea of being a jaded Christian, because I do think we need to be careful in just going about, you know, it is what it is. There's nothing we can do about it. And we can really lose sympathy and empathy and uh, some just absolute foundational biblical compassion. So a couple places just to give us a little context on what these words mean. But sympathy, now if you read Psychology Today, it says that sympathy is a reaction to the plight of others. And then it says empathy means sharing another person's emotions, okay? So that that was kind of its baseline definition and it was not too convoluted, so I actually kind of held on to that. I'm not even gonna read you the Merriam-Webster definition, and I'm meaning the modern day one, because it was really a terrible definition and it didn't make any sense and I was more confused at the end of it. So we're gonna skip that one. But just a sideline too, I actually looked these words up in the Webster 1828 one online that I love so much. And sympathy is there, but empathy was not. So the etymology of the word, it was that there's, it goes, it doesn't go where in 1828, empathy was not a word that we were using back then, apparently. But I think one of the ones that I liked the most was just dictionary.com. And it's, and it kind of put it into some paragraphs that maybe we can understand. It says, nowadays, Sympathy is largely used to convey commiseration, pity, or feelings of sorrow for someone else who is experiencing misfortune. This sense, it goes on to say, is often seen in the category of like a greeting card labeled sympathy that specializes the message of support and sorrow for others in time of need. So we know, we kind of get that, right? The sympathy card. So you can think, okay, sympathy is conveying feelings of sorrow, pity, or commiseration with someone else. You feel badly for them. But here's where sympathy kind of ends, according to dictionary.com, you don't know what it's like to be in their shoes. They would say that that's where that ends. That is the part that I'm just telling you, there seems to be some controversy because some sites will say sympathy is because you have been through that particular circumstance and others will say it is not. It's, it's, you know, it's just like, oh, you just feel bad for them and all of that. I'm going to kind of go more with that one because there seemed to be a bit more agreement among the definitions. But yeah, I'll boil this down here in a minute. But I want to give you a little bit more of these these terms before we before we do that. This site an, or another definition brought it to sympathy as feelings of compassion, sorrow, or pity for hardships for another person's encounters. And empathy, and this is what I think is really simple about the empathy one to remember, is that it's putting yourself in the shoes of another. That was kind of helpful for me because while some will put that sympathy is that idea of, I feel bad you're going through this. You're concerned. You're saddened by what they're, what they're going through. You wish that things were better. But it's almost just like a sentiment a little bit. You can think of it like your sympathy card. You know, you're sending that sentiment that is showing that I, I'm so sorry. I have pity that you're going through the situation. But empathy, on the other hand, is more actually 
trying to experience that person's feelings. You know, you're really trying to put yourself in their shoes and have an understanding of what they're going through. So if we were to put these on a scale of things, I think it would perhaps start with sympathy. And I'm just going to say this is this is Amy opinion here. Probably somebody who's far smarter and understands some of the etymology of these words could do a way better job of this. But this is how I'm going to boil it down. That perhaps these feelings start with sympathy of feeling badly and just wishing someone was not going through that. It's the sentiment. It's the sympathy card. Empathy then goes a step further and is, man, like not only do I really wish you weren't going through this and I'm sad for this, but you're actually trying to understand this is the the person that goes over when the friends had a bad breakup and just sits there and just lets them talk, just listens to what they're going through and and is trying to understand. There's that's the sense there. I want to walk in your shoes a little bit. I want to understand what you're going through. So we got sympathy, more of the sentiment, empathy, stepping into their shoes. So there you go. There, that's my analysis on the differences between sympathy and empathy. And maybe you feel like you've flipped over those one of those word a day calendars and and you have your fun fact for the day. <laughs> but sympathy, empathy, I think these two things matter for us as Christians. And we're going to talk about the progression of where this really needs to look. And that is in, in compassion itself. But I just want us to evaluate for a sec. Are we even sad for the hardships that others are going through. That would be the sympathy part. Are, are we sad? Or do are we so overloaded with all of the things going on in our world that we just don't even feel like we've got the bandwidth to be sad? It's like, I, I don't even know what to do with that. And I would also say, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that, man, you need to just sit in your room and just cry all day <laughs> for all of the horrors that are going on in our world. We, we couldn't do that, right? But I, I think we need to be careful that we don't while we certainly don't want to do that, that would not be a healthy thing. We don't want to swing the other way and just get this callousness against the hardships and the things that people are going through and and not have the bandwidth as Christians, as people who want to be like Christ, imitators of Christ, to have sympathy, empathy, and then ultimately compassion for other people. So are we sad when people are going through hardships? Do we then go one step further and, and do we seek to understand and put ourselves in their shoes? You know, I, I really feel like that that piece, that empathy part is probably the closest to Romans 12, 15, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. When we actually can step inside their shoes a little bit and, and how does this feel? You know, there's certain issues that and maybe and you know there maybe because i have gone through something like that that when another person is going through that same thing i can cry at the drop of the hat because i'm instantly putting myself in their shoes but i also have other friends that have not gone through those types of things but their level of empathizing with someone and putting themselves in that person's shoes they can equally they can just absolutely have a heart of compassion that emotionally it affects them. And I think there is a sweetness to that tender heart. And I, I think that's a, that's a gift from the Lord that can be there so that we can comfort others. Second Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Especially if you've been through a loss, really any hardship. Okay, but for me, this is loss. I remember reading this passage by someone who had recently lost their mom. And their mom had only been gone for a, a few months, and and she was just wrestling with the pain and going through all of this stuff. But the Lord is so kind in his word, gave her this passage, and she just had a moment where she realized that I'm going through this so that I can comfort others. Now, when I read her thing, I had just, you know, she was a few months ahead of me, but I had just lost my dad. And, you know, when you first lose someone, that idea of you're going through something so that you can be a comfort for others isn't necessarily super comforting at the moment, right? You know, it, it you're like, nope, I'd rather skip this part and I would rather find a way to be comforting to someone else in another way. But it's kind of a truth of the word here. You know, when he says that you, that the God of all comfort, that he comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction. It's just true. It is just true. You know people that when they have gone through a particular situation, they are able to comfort you in a way that maybe somebody else cannot. Now, this is not, I, th- I don't think, a, you know, a pass for those that have not gone through those hardships to not empathize and not try to put yourself in that, those, that person's shoes and, and show compassion and kindness to them. But there is almost a little bit of a golden ticket if we can give a silver lining to when we go through really, really hard stuff, that when you go through those hard things, you will be equipped and enabled because the Lord comforted you in those moments, because the Lord brought you through, you will be able to minister to others in a really impactful way that you might not have asked for it, but you got it. And man, you can use it for his glory. That is for sure. So the extension of We've got sympathy and empathy, and I don't know if it's fair to necessarily put these on a progression scale. It's just how it made more sense in my brain, but to have sympathy and then empathy, but then ultimately compassion. And compassion is the one that I think that we really need to camp out on when we think about how we are being disciples of Christ, because this one's big. Compassion is is the mercy of God. And here's what we mean by the mercy of God. The mercy of God, it describes his uh, focused disposition of compassionate forgiveness towards his people, especially in light of their distressful and dire circumstances. Okay, that's us. We're in stressful and dire circumstances. And the Lord has a compassionate forgiveness toward us. Our distressful and dire circumstances, spoiler, that's our sin right there doesn't get any more dire than those particular circumstances. And the Lord, in his disposition of being compassionate and forgiving towards us, that's his mercy. He he then is coming to our, our rescue in that. The mercy of God is one of God's um, communicable attributes, meaning it's an attribute that that humans that we can emulate and in our relationships with other people. And it's it, this is where our brains kind of short circuit some, sometimes because God is love, right? God is compassion. And I mean, it just is who he is. That is not who we are. But it is an attribute of God that we can emulate and we can show in our relationships with with other people that then makes us in a place where we are imitating Christ, doing 
our best to be a disciple of Christ and be like him in how we show compassion in our relationships with with other people. One of the marks, particularly about the Lord's mercy and the Lord's compassion for us, is how he gives it towards a very undeserving people. And again, that would be us, you know, kind of. And this one is funny because we can get that, or if we don't, we should pause and kind of go, wow, yeah, we are very undeserving. Try to comprehend, you know, the goodness and love and even care that the Lord has for us. He could have created us and then just said, good luck. Why didn't he? We probably would have, or we might have. We might have gone, you know, okay, I gave you these rules in the garden, and here's the one thing you're not supposed to do, and you did it anyway, so that's on you. You go deal with it. But that was not, that's not who the Lord is. And and even in our sin, even as messed up as we are, as you know, as not real bright as we are, to be honest, and disobedient and rebellious as we are, the Lord still insisted on showing compassion and mercy and love to us as a very undeserving people. So that's kind of one of these markers I want to challenge us with is on the undeserving part, because we get that we are undeserving, or if we don't, we should. We should pause and and really get that. But then do we take that part and and do we choose to show compassion to people that we don't think deserve it? You know, it's, it's easy to to want to be a recipient of the Lord's compassion and recognize that we don't deserve it, but he gives us great compassion. But then that part, it can be really hard to then show compassion and empathy and sympathy to someone we just don't think deserves it, or we don't like, or they're not really our people. They're kind of annoying. And so we're not going to really show compassion to that person. Praise the Lord he didn't have that attitude with us, right? And so many examples in scripture where we where we see that. I love the the prayer that Daniel prays in Daniel 9. And it says in, in Daniel 9, 17, it says, Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face shine upon us in your sanctuary, which is desolate. And then he says this, he says, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your your eyes and see our desolations and the city and is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. It's not a long prayer that Daniel gives there, but it's it's a very honest, like we're kind of a mess right now and we really don't deserve any gracious thing that you do, but because of your great mercy. You know, also in in Psalm 25, it says, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. And verse seven says, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. That's Psalm 25, six and seven. How amazing is it that all the stuff that we've done, all the times that we've messed up, and all the sins that we have walked in and just the mess that we have lived, whether that was past sins or our sins from just today, you know, regardless of those, the Lord does not remember those things. He says, remember those, not those things. And it's, again, it's not because we deserve it. It's because of his steadfast love for the sake of his goodness 
and it's not ours. So there's this element with the Lord's compassion that you can't miss the fact that it goes out to a very undeserving people. That just hits me because I just think of the ones that it might be really easy for me to show compassion to someone that is my dearest friend, someone that I have walked a lot of life with that I just love so dearly. It's a lot easier for me to show compassion to that person. Is it as simple for me to show compassion to someone that maybe I don't even know very well? Or if I do know them, maybe our personalities just clash like crazy. And I'm like, I'm not going to really go to as much effort to show you compassion or empathy or sympathy. And we got to notice that when we do that, because that's an error. You know, that's not extending the compassion that the Lord extended to us. A mark of the Christian is to be like Christ, who shows compassion, shows love to a very undeserving group of people. We then also need to show that level of compassion to people that maybe we don't even like. We read those passages in scripture that talk about loving your enemies, praying for your enemies. And sometimes I think about who is your enemy? Some of us might go, well, I don't really have any enemies. But Ask yourself that again. Like, okay, maybe we wouldn't call them an enemy and we're not going to battle. Maybe you do have someone you really are going to battle with. But maybe it's just someone you just don't like. Pray for that person. I bet you anything, and I've seen this in my own life, the Lord will change your heart about towards that person. It might not even manifest itself in such a way that you have some amazing relationship down the road, but it will certainly align your heart in the right direction. And, and showing that compassion to, to someone, even if they're just not your people. Such great examples of how Jesus was with this. Um, it, there's a couple different places, but in Mark 6 and then also in Matthew 9, it says that when it's talking about Jesus, that he went ashore and he saw a great crowd and it says, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he began to teach them many things. Such sweetness in that, that they were like sheep without a shepherd. I always love that scripture calls us sheep and that Jesus has all this love for for these sweet little fluffy sheep that are so dumb. Sheep are the dumbest. I grew up on a ranch in Wyoming and they're dumb. They're dumb gals. You might think they're cute. I'm just telling you, they are real dumb. And I don't think it's a mistake that Jesus says, all we like sheep have gone astray, each his own way. That would be us. We are sheep and we might be fluffy and cuddly, but we are not real bright. But when Jesus looks at us, he doesn't actually see how dumb we are. He says that he has compassion on us and he sees that, oh, they need help. They need guidance. They need a shepherd. They need protection. That is his heart towards us stinky sheep. I wish that you guys could have been in the car with me, or I wish I had a recording of my sweet little three-year-old. I think it, Brennan was about three. And whenever we drove over to grandma's house, they didn't have a lot of sheep, but they had a lot, enough that you could smell them every time that you drove past. And he, we used to go past and the weather would be nice, you know, because it's the springtime. And, and so you'd put the, put the windows down. But if the wind was catching you at just the right way, Brennan, he would yell, stinky sheeps. And I will never forget how we would always say that. And every time we drive past that, I still think that stinky sheeps. But that's kind of us. We are sort of the stinky sheeps. And while we turn our nose up at that and we are like, that's just gross. The Lord looks at us with such compassion and he says, oh, they need a shepherd. I love that. And we are told to do that too. So think about Ephesians 4.32. It tells us to be kind one to another, tender hearted, 
forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We've already talked about how undeserving we are and the fact that that God would choose to still forgive us even as the mess that we are. But that phrase in there, tenderhearted, just having a soft, moldable heart, something that it, it, this is like basically the opposite of the jaded, calloused heart that just is just doesn't even want to mess with it, but instead choosing to have a tender heart. Now, I recognize that sometimes when we have tender hearts, we don't like that because it does open us up for maybe getting hurt more. I wonder if that's more where we should fault than the other. You know, not so much leaning into the side of protecting ourselves, but more so having that tender heart, being kind. That is where what Christ has called us to do. Colossians 3, 12 through 13 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Again, we're just told it, man, have compassionate hearts, be kind, be humble. You know, I love that humility is tucked into that list there because sometimes we can have a little bit more of a, just an inflated view of like, how could you do whatever? You know, how could you do that? And often it's because we haven't really stopped to think of the times that we probably did something very similar, you know, but we can have a very inflated view of ourselves when somebody else does something to us that that we feel then gives us a reason to just not be compassionate. We don't need to do that. But that's why he tucks humility in there. But then at the end, he says, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you almost also must forgive as the Lord has forgiven us completely undeserved compassion, the Lord's mercy that he forgives us, that he gives us regardless. First Peter 3.8 also tells us, it says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Boy, that's a good list. Stick that on a sticky note and say, hey, how am I doing with sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and a humble mind? Four things there. I like that. Philippians 2, 1 through 5 says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being the full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And let each of you look not on his just his own interests, but also on the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Love that, that we are to have this mind of that is just like Jesus. This is the definition of a Christian, being like Christ, having this mind that is of Christ. I think this is just an element that being Christians, we need to recognize our need for compassion. Yes, right? We have a need that we receive the compassion from our Heavenly Father. We're so grateful for that. But then also the command to do likewise is a pretty big part of our Christian walk. I'm trying to unpack every time I say a little Christianese uh, statement. What do we mean by our Christian walk? The walk that we have with Christ is just the picture. Think of walking step by step, choice by choice. What what are you doing throughout your day? As you progress, because as you're walking along a path, you're going from point A to point B, and hopefully you have some forward motion. And as a Christian, you have that forward motion to be more like Christ. And we, the big fancy Christian term for that is sanctification, that we would be sanctified, that we would be separate, that we would be holy unto the Lord. And we do that by continuing to make these one foot in front of the other steps as a Christian 
And and in this area of compassion, right? How how do we make put one foot in front of the other in showing compassion to other people? I think it's a really big part of our walk. The jaded Christian may hold to a bunch of really great sound doctrine, which is awesome. We need that. That's foundational to our faith. They may have a really firm cognitive grasp of the truths of salvation, which again is really, really good. But got to remind us of 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, it's just a it's just a few verses, but it's huge. And it says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And then it goes on to talk about all the amazing things you can have in your Christian faith, prophecies and faith and all of the things that you can have. But it says, if you have not love, I have nothing. It says, if I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then he gives us the classic definition of what love is, which is ultimate compassion. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And then he ends that chapter on in verse 13 and says, So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. I think it's a pretty big deal. I think it's a pretty big deal that we show our love one to another, and that is our compassion. Ultimate empathy, sympathy will look like the compassion of Christ for other people. So this might convict us a little bit, you know. You know, maybe we just are in that camp of it's just too busy, you know, I'm I'm just too busy to consider what others are going through. Man, I've I've done that where I've just been so focused on my thing or what I'm doing that I can be completely blind to what somebody around me is even going through because I'm just doing my thing, you know. Maybe we see that what other people are going through and maybe you have that response of like, well, it could be worse. Okay. That's really not very helpful. Um, And we've all done that at some point, but or the ones and this is just a heads up, probably not understanding what others are going through. If if they tell you what they're what's going on in their life and then you do the whole one up them thing like, oh, that's really sad. But man, when I went through this and da 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 da, don't don't do that. It's really not helpful. You know, but there's a lot of different things related to this empathy, sympathy, and then ultimately our compassion for others that I think that we could do better on. You know, and I think it's really central to who we are and how we define ourselves as Christians. Because John 13, 35, it says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. It's seriously about how we emulate this area that Christ shows his compassion to us. How do we show that compassion to, uh, to other people? Because he says that is how people are going to know if you're my disciples or not. That is ultimately how we are going to know if you are truly a Christ-following Christian, a disciple, a little Christ. If you have love one for another, that's how everyone's going to know. So I think this is a really good one for us to look at and go, man, how am I doing on that? So I, I want to encourage you, pray about this one this week. You know, maybe write out one of the scriptures that we've shared um, in the podcast today. I remember I always put them in the notes. So if you are if you don't remember, go back and look at some of those references. Look them up in your own Bible. 
and write one out that just sticks out to you and pray about that thing. And you know what? Let's let's do a fun thing. How about if you take a pick of the verse that you write out, pick one of these verses that we've talked about today, or honestly, if if the if the Holy Spirit just leads you to a different passage on compassion and how we need to show that to other people that I did not talk about here. That's fine too. Um, but write that verse down and take a picture of it and then tag us on Instagram at Athey Women. So go on Instagram and put your picture up there. Just make sure you tag us at Athey Women. And the first five that we get, I'm going to send you guys, uh, I'll send a little gift. I have no idea what it's going to be because I just thought of this. So, But the first five that um, tag us with what your verse is on this topic of compassion and showing empathy for others, the first five that do that, I'm going to send you something just for fun. So do that. I think that'll be that'll be fun to read and for everybody else to get to see what you are kind of marinating marinating on this week. But I do think this is really worth us asking the Lord to show us how we could do better in this area because it's clearly pretty central, you know? It's a, this is how people will know if we are disciples of Christ by this. But I also want to give a, an encouraging word from Colossians. You know, we read earlier the part in Colossians 3.12 where it says, put on then. That phrase, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, put on patience. I'm thankful for those two words right there, and I'll tell you why. I I love, Pastor Brett talks about the, the put on and how sometimes People can look at Christians and just say that, you know, they've got that cheesy Christian smile, but there's nothing genuine underneath it, you know, that they're just being put-ons, that they're um, not being real. And while, of course, we're not advocating for us to be not being genuine in our compassion and all of those things, I think there's an element here where we are actually putting on, not ourselves, because if it was just us, are we going to be very humble and kind and putting others first? Well, no. But when we put on Christ, when we when we ask him to give us that heart, that kindness, that humility, that meekness and patience, but we're we're kind of putting it on because it's not something that comes within our nature. We need it. We need it from him. So this is one of those things where I almost just feel like, can you fake it a little bit till you make it? I think that if in this for some of you guys might hear that and that might totally offend you and you might go, I, I can't get behind that. Well, just just go with me here a little bit, because typically, if you choose to just have a better attitude, you know, say you've had a really rough day, your kids come home, and you just kind of feel like being grumpy. You just feel like being grumpy and just kind of wallowing in the day that you've had. If you choose to do that, how awesome is your evening going to be? Yeah, it's not going to be awesome. It's going to be terrible. If instead the five minutes before your kids walk in the door, your husband walks in, you choose to just say, Lord, would you help me put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience? Can I put this on? And then if you just choose to just throw that smile on your face and put their needs above your own when they walk in the door, I'd be willing to bet, even though it was kind of rough and you didn't necessarily feel like doing those things, I think your actions will be more honoring to Christ because you will be you will be showing compassion to those that you live with. But in Colossians, those last two verses in 14 and 15 of, of chapter three, Colossians 3, 14 and 15 says this, and above all, 
There it says it again. All these put on love, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Put it on. Even when this stuff doesn't come easy, even when it is not your natural inclination to show sympathy, empathy, or compassion to those you love or maybe those you don't love, put it on anyway. And what we find is is this sweet promise that says that, that the peace of Christ will rule in our hearts. I'm so thankful for that. So there we go. There's the jaded Christian. Well, a few few marks of things that I think we can all check ourselves on a little bit and make sure we don't fall into that jaded Christian column and instead having compassionate hearts one to another as a mark of, hey, this is how we will know. This is how the world will know that we are his disciples, true disciples of Christ by our love for one another. Thank you for tuning in to The Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in West Lynn, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at atheycreek.com.